I am thrilled to be here. No subject is nearer, dearer to my heart than the temple. And I kind of am on a mission, and I'll admit it. I grew up in one of those homes where, oh, the temple is too sacred to say anything about. And so I grew up knowing that there were temples and that they were important, and my parents went often, but never really understanding why I should love them and strive to go there. And I think, you know, prophets, seers, and revelators have kind of said, let's not pass that on to our children. And I love that Elder Bednar came out in conference and said, here's what we can and cannot say. It is as dangerous to not talk appropriately about the temple as as it is to talk inappropriately about the temple. So I... I'm thrilled that this is our subject today, that we can talk about the purpose of the temple in our lives. I'm grateful that we're all endowed and we can really just focus on what do the covenants mean in our lives. So in order to to really understand the role the temple plays, we've got to step back and understand the purpose of this life. I'm going to give you some very good news and then I'm going to give you some very bad news. And it's the bad news that people aren't necessarily prepared to hear. We come into this telestial world with a telestial nature. Would you agree? The doctrines of the Book of the Book of Mormon teaches clearly that our inherent nature, remember how Joseph Smith said, we've learned by sad experience that it is the nature and disposition. We are born into a telestial world with a telestial nature. Now, let me point out, we got to make a clarification. There is a big difference between the telestial world and the telestial kingdom. Now, in the temple, we go through the telestial world on our way to the celestial kingdom. So here we we start in the telestial world, and it represents our life, our natures, our nature is telestial by the fall. Let's just read a couple scriptures. Turn with me to, let's do um, Mosiah 16. Let's do Abinadi. Abinadi speaking to the priests of Noah kind of talks about that, our fallen nature. How about verse verse 3? Mosiah 16, 3. Anyone want to read? Tick. And that phrase I want to point out is that the fall was the cause of all mankind becoming carnal, sensual, devilish. We come into a carnal, sensual, devilish world, and by nature we are carnal, sensual, devilish. Okay, Alma to his son Corianton, who was also a wayward needing to be corrected. Alma chapter 42. Alma to Corianton. Verse 10, 42.10. Alma 42.10. Anyone want to read? Please. Therefore, as they had become carnal, sensual, and devilish by nature, this probationary state became a state for them to prepare. It became a preparatory state. Okay. So because of that nature... They became carnal, sensual, and devilish by nature. So, 
journey number one is to overcome our telestial nature. We're born here. We have a natural tendency here. Journey number one is to overcome our telestial nature and become terrestrial. And I, the good news is all of you, all of us in this room are well on our way to that journey. This is missionary work. This is come out of the world and join the church. Now, this is what I would say. These right here are what I call chapel ordinances. What sign is on the outside of this building? Visitors welcome. Everyone can come into this building because what do we talk about in this building? What are the ordinances of this building? What are the focus of the ordinances that we hold in this building? Name an ordinance that we hold in this building. Okay, sacrament. The whole point of the sacrament is to do what? Oh, what covenant? Renew what covenant? Okay, so let's start with that one. Somewhere in this building is a baptismal font. And you come into the church. Your journey into the church is through an ordinance of baptism. So tell me what's the symbol of baptism. If it were, I know article of faith, baptism for the remission of sins. But if baptism were a washing, wouldn't we do this for our token? What's the token of baptism? It's burial. It's death and burial. What is dying? The telestial man. The telestial part of me is dying. You become a member of the church when you do what? Promise to do what? I'm going to kill the natural man and come up a new person. Do you see the symbolism? And so the Old Testament was full of ordinances that led you to be terrestrial, to come out of the telestial room and into a terrestrial way of living. Let's see it in the sacrament. So baptism is a death, a burial, and a newness. Where do, what do we see in the sacrament? Well, before we do that, again, I want you to picture the Old Testament tabernacle. The Old Testament tabernacle was like this. There was an outer courtyard, and then this was the temple proper, and there were two rooms. This outer courtyard represented the celestial room. This, the terrestrial. The holy place was the terrestrial, and the holy of holies was the celestial. Now, what do we pass on the way into the temple, into the holy place? What do we pass as we come out of the celestial and into the terrestrial? The altar of sacrifice. Do you see the symbolism? What is it that we're laying on the altar? There it is. Let's briefly, can I teach you how to offer a sacrifice? Before we do sacrament, let me take you back to the Old Testament. Um, imagine my family. I have 10 children. I have a 19-year-old daughter. Sweet, just a wonderful daughter. Let me take my 19-year-old daughter back to the Old Testament. You join me, and I'm going to teach my daughter 
how to offer a sacrifice in the Old Testament. I don't know that any of you know how to do it, right? Anyone ever walked through the steps of offering an animal in the Old Testament? Okay, let's do that. In your Bible, we could go to Leviticus and pull it out of the scriptures, but let's go to the Bible dictionary. Turn to Bible dictionary, look up the word sacrifices. Sacrifices. And then go to the fourth paragraph. There's a list, there's a numbered list, one through six. Everyone there? So, Bible dictionary, study helps. Bible dictionary, sacrifices. Fourth paragraph, do you find that numbered list? All right, number one. What's step number one? Okay, so <clears throat> the animal my daughter and I are gonna bring, the animal is going to represent Christ. So we've got to check that box. We've got to make sure that the animal I brought is worthy of representing Christ. So I present it to the priest. He looks over the animal and says, this is a good sacrifice. So Hallie, what do you want to take? Hallie, what do you want to take to the temple? Let's take a lamb. So Hallie picks out the best of our lambs and we're going to take the lamb to the temple. Step number one, we take it to the priest is this a worthy sacrifice? Yes, okay, check. Step number two. This is where it gets weird for Latter-day Saints. Tell me what step number two is. My daughter is gonna lay her hands upon this lamb. Why? Keep reading. This animal now represents not only Christ, but who does this animal represent? You. Me. It represents the animal in me. That's a great description of my telestial tendencies. The animal in me. And my daughter lays, the an lays her hands upon the animal, and this animal now represents everything that's telestial about her. Her pride, her anger, her lust, losing her temper, all the telestial things. Now what's step number three? Does the priest kill the animal? I thought when I was a kid, you know, you took your lamb to the temple and you just, you know, like you're tithing to the bishop, right? Here it is, bishop. I, I take my lamb to the temple and I walk away. No. Who? Who is going to kill this lamb? My daughter. I'm going to hand the knife to my daughter. Now tell me what my 19-year-old does when I hand a knife to her. What would you do? Why? Uh, why are you giving me a knife, Dad? You have to kill the lamb. I don't want to kill the lamb. The lamb didn't do anything wrong. Why does the lamb have to die? And we would have a marvelous little discussion about why the animal has to die. And then we would have another marvelous discussion. This animal represents the animal in our family. And if we don't kill this animal, what's the animal going to do? 
If you don't kill the natural man, tell me what the natural man will do. It will destroy you. If you don't believe that, read any set of scriptures and watch the news. If you do not overcome your natural man, your natural man will overcome you. Hallie, if we don't kill this animal, it will destroy our family. It will destroy you. Here's the knife. Kill the animal inside you. Would my daughter remember that? Would you remember that experience for the rest of your life? I'm grateful we don't offer animal sacrifices, but I think my daughter would remember that. Every time I lost my temper, I would think of that animal. Every time the natural man reared its face in my life, I would think about that animal. Number four, what's step number four? Okay, clearly that's a point, or that's a reference to here, right? He poured out his blood. What, what's the reference here? In the Old Testament, when you wanted to, when Moses wanted to put them under cover, under covenant, he sprinkled the blood. I am doing what? I am taking his blood upon me. I am sprinkling the blood. It's kind of an exchange here because let me, let me say it this way. What color does Jesus walk into Gethsemane with? What do you think Jesus was wearing when he walked into Gethsemane? Knowing what you know about him, what color was he wearing when he walked into Gethsemane? I know he was wearing white, right? What color is he wearing when he walks out? He's wearing red. When he comes again, what will he be wearing? He will not be in white. He will be in red because what did he do in Gethsemane? He took our blood. Symbolically, I walk into Gethsemane wearing what color? I wear red. Though your sins be as scarlet, though they be red like crimson, I walk into Gethsemane wearing red. And what do I do with my red? I sprinkle it on him. And I walk out wearing, so he walks out wearing the red I walked in wearing. Do you see what we did in Gethsemane? Do you see what Jesus and I did in Gethsemane? And I remember that. I remember that when I sprinkle the blood. I sprinkle the blood onto the altar, which is his sacrifice, which leaves me free of the stains. Number five, what else would they do? I think this is the most symbolic part. How do you make the natural man go away? What consumed the animal? Fire. What's fire? The Spirit of God like. And what do we call the baptism of the Holy Ghost? The baptism of. So how do you make the natural man go away? It's so simple. It's so simple. You don't need chastity belts and you don't need to whip yourself. How do you make the natural man go away? You fill your life with the Spirit. One quick verse, Mosiah 3.19. Hold on to your, keep this verse, open up a new page or flip to the Book of Mormon and go Mosiah 3.19. How do you overcome the natural man? Anyone want to read? 
Anyone have it memorized? Let's hear it. Let's hear it. Yep, you got it. There it is. The natural man is an enemy to God unless he yields to the enticings of the natural, or does what? Burdens the natural man with fire. Do you see the symbolism? So we would lay that animal on the altar, burn it up in the symbol of that's how you make the animal go away. And then number six, we would take the meat home and eat it as a celebration. We are celebrating the victory, celebrating his victory and our killing of our natural man. Do you see that ordinance? So tell me what we do with the bread today. Tell me what we do with the bread. Actually, you know what? Let's, let's step back one. Why don't we kill animals today? Third Nephi chapter nine. Let's go to the Book of Mormon. 3 Nephi 9.19 is why we don't, when we were, we were commanded not to offer animals anymore. Someone read this one. 3 Nephi 9.19. Notice this is after the atonement, before he descends among the Nephites. He declares, who will read? Please. And you shall offer up unto me no more of the children of the Lord. Yea, your sacrifices and your burnt offerings shall be done away. Okay, no more animals. Thank goodness, right? Aren't you just breathing a sigh of relief? No more animals. So instead, what does he say in 20? And you shall offer for a sacrifice unto me a broken heart and a spirit. Okay. So the current offering to God is a broken heart. And what do we do with the bread? We break it. So what is breaking? What is breaking when I break my heart? If I ask a teenager, God wants you to be brokenhearted, what does that mean to them? That's not what it means, right? What is a broken heart? Let me use an analogy. I don't know if you've ever watched a horse be broken. I grew, up in a I grew up near a ranch, not far from here. Uh, the, Harriman was nothing but wild horses and land and people and huge properties. And I grew up not far from here. And I grew up near a ranch. And one time this rancher received a wild horse with a broken leg. I don't know where it came from. I don't know who rescued it, but it, had, it, was, a it was a wild horse with a broken leg. Now, what do we normally do to horses with broken legs? Because they don't know how to heal and they will continue and they will, they will be in a great deal of pain. But this rancher said, I'm going to save this horse. What was step number one? Wild horse. What was step number one? I cannot heal your leg until you trust me. Step number one was to break something. What, what needed to break here? The wildness, the resistance. The first thing I watched the rancher do was put a rope around his neck. Now tell me what that wild horse did with that rope. Now, if ever there's a symbol of what my natural man is doing to God, right? What is my natural man doing to God? I, no way. The only way he could heal that horse is if that horse broke that resistance. 
The only way God can heal me is if I do what? Break my resistance. In the Book of Mormon, there's a group of people that have to do it. What do they do? They bury their weapons. I think that's a beautiful symbol of what a broken heart is. In fact, I don't know if this was intended or if it was a typo, but it's one of the best typos in the Book of Mormon. Go to Alma chapter 23. What did they bury? I think it probably was supposed to be weapons of war. But what Mormon wrote is absolutely stunning. Alma chapter 23, verse 7. What did the anti-Nephi-Lehi's have to lay down? The weapons of their rebellion. That is the sacrament. That was the sacrifice. That is chapel ordinances. Every ordinance in the chapel, every ordinance we perform in this building is designed to break the resistance to God. It's my natural man. I've got to break that natural man. I watched him. I watched him work with that horse. I watched him get to the point. He laid the rope that was around the horse on his shoulder and walked. And guess what the horse did? And only then could he heal that broken leg. And he did. I thought so much about me and Heavenly Father, me and God. The only way he'll ever heal me is if I break my resistance. That's what sacrament is. We break the bread. What's the other element? What's the other emblem of the sacrament? Can you think of anyone who was ever given a cup and he drank it? He didn't want to, right? But he drank it. That's the giving my will to God, breaking my heart. I drink the cup like Jesus drank the cup. Do you see the similar theme that's flowing through every ordinance in the chapel? The common theme is that what we do in the chapel is we work on this. The chapel teaches us how to go out of the celestial room and into the ter terrestrial room. That's journey number one. Now, here's the bad news. That's not the destination. <laughs> There is a whole nother level of changes I have to make if I desire the celestial kingdom. What room am I in when I overcome to a certain degree, not perfectly, but what room am I in when I overcome the natural man? I'm in the terrestrial room. And now Heavenly Father says what? Guess what the next invitation? Here's the bad news. You're halfway there. Now we need to talk about overcoming your terrestrial tendencies. And we can't do it here. So we go to a place where not everyone goes. It's not because it's an exclusive club. It's just because the journey is different. Now we turn to a place. I'm going to erase this because the journey 
is no longer. We're, the, the focus of our journey is I'm going to continue these for the rest of my life because I'm still a little bit in the telestial room, right? Aren't we all? But my focus is now this journey. Where are the ordinances that focus on overcoming my terrestrial tendencies? Where am I going to find how to become celestial? How to overcome the terrestrial? Where are the ordinances of this transition? You see where I'm going? Those are temples. Do you see why we don't let the whole world in? It's not because an ex exclu we're not better. We're not trying to say, oh, it's an exclusive club and you can't come in. It's saying there's an order here. And if you're working on this, you stay here. But when you're ready to work on this, we need a place where we can focus on that and be taught how to do that. Everything associated with the temple is to help you overcome your terrestrial tendencies. You are in the terrestrial room and some of us are holding tightly to things that stay in that room. And unless I let go of those things, I will never go into the celestial room or the celestial kingdom. And the whole purpose of that building is this transition. So let's talk terrestrial tendencies. We don't have that conversation in the chapel very often, do we? If I were to say, tell me a telestial sin, how many could you come up with? If I were to say, tell me a terrestrial sin, how many would you come up with? Tell me your most common terrestrial sin. What would you say? And that's my observation. Uh, mm, we don't talk terrestrial transgression. I think we all know what these are. We have a pretty good idea what these are. But very rarely do we talk about these. So forgive me if we talk briefly about what a terrestrial person we all are. But then we can identify what is the target, what is being fixed in the temple. I need to go there. It's a hospital. It's a hospital for terrestrial people who are trying to become celestial. This chapel is a hospital for telestial people trying to become terrestrial. Step one. And once I've made significant progress here, I need a new hospital. And I need to be taught specifically how to overcome my terrestrial tendencies. So let's... Now we're gonna pick that up next class, but I wanna leave you with, I want you to see this. I want you to walk away saying, okay, I have a pretty good idea what's terrestrial. So 
Let's take a few minutes and just see if we can clarify each group. Is that worthwhile? Okay. Best place to do that is the Sermon on the Mount. The whole purpose on this is to go to, go to the Book of Mormon version because Jesus includes, the, the Book of Mormon includes a verse that the Bible doesn't. And for me, it completely changes the purpose of the Sermon on the Mount. Third Nephi chapter 12 is the Book of Mormon version of the Sermon on the Mount. Notice verses 1 and 2. What seems to be missing from the biblical account? It's missing from the Bible. Right in the middle of verse 1, he stretched forth his hands unto the multitude and cried unto them, saying, here's the very first blessed, the beatitude that's missing from the Bible. Blessed are ye if ye give heed to the words of these twelve, whom I have chosen from among you to minister unto you, to be your servants. Blessed are you if you follow prophets, seers, and revelators. And then verse 2, what's the next blessed? What's the missing beatitude in verse 2? What is it? Blessed are, ye, blessed are they who shall believe in your words, come down to the depths of humility, and be baptized. For, so for whom is the Sermon on the Mount? Is the Sermon on the Mount a missionary tool? It's not. For whom is the Sermon on the Mount? Baptized members of the church. He's pushing them forward. The Sermon on the Mount is this right here. I believe the Sermon on the Mount is a temple text. If we really go back in time, I believe we will discover that the Sermon on the Mount was a temple text. And it was designed for those who had already worked on overcoming the natural man and needed to do this. So Jesus is going to say, here's what you've done. And here's what you need to do now. And it's going to really help us understand what's terrestrial. So let's do, all right, the first one is verse 21. Third Nephi 12, 21. What's the rule they obeyed to get to that point? The law they obeyed is don't kill. So what do you know about celestial people? Celestial people kill. They're violent. They hurt. They hit. They cause pain. They bring pain to other people. They, they, they are violent. And what's the transition to becoming a good terrestrial person? You don't kill. Do not kill. But do these people kill? They do not kill either. So to change my action is to become terrestrial. Now the Lord says, okay, now let's work on the next step. So what new rule does he give them? Verse 22, what's the new rule? Don't get angry. 
control your emotions, your thoughts, your desires. Do you see the difference? So violence in my hands, telestial. No violence in my hands, but it's in my head, terrestrial. I won't hit you, but I hate you. Terrestrial. Hit you, telestial. See the difference? Let's do another one. How about 27? What's the law that got them to the temple? Tell me the law that got them to the temple. 27, yell it out. Don't commit adultery. Don't commit sexual acts. Telestial people violate laws of chastity. They act in an immoral way. So anyone who doesn't commit sexual transgression is here. Which is why if you're a member of the church and you commit a sexual transgression, we may have to do what? We may have to revoke your membership. We may have to kick you back to here until, you see, that's a telestial. But these people don't commit adultery and these people don't commit, commit adultery. So what's the new commandment Jesus gives them that will help the terrestrial people move to a celestial level. Verse 30, 28, what's the new commandment? Don't think or desire. Well, I'm not doing anything wrong. I know you're not doing it, but you think about it a lot. You are committing terrestrial sins in your head. No one knows but you and God. So stop thinking things you shouldn't think about. Do you see the transition? So where do I commit terrestrial sins? Not in my hands, in my head and in my heart. Everything in the temple is gonna focus where? my head and my heart. I want you to begin to think endowment. I want you to begin to think initiatory. What's the first thing I do when I walk into the temple? I wash my head, my heart, my eyes, my mouth. Is my head dirty? No. What's dirty? What's dirty that needs to be washed in the temple? My thoughts. What I look at. What I talk about. What I click on. What I desire in my heart. So the very first thing we're going to do in the temple is not wash me outwardly. We're going to wash me, do you see it? Inwardly. Do you see the difference? Do you see the purpose of the temple? Everything in the temple is going to focus on my inward, not my outward. There's only one person on this planet who knows whether or not I'm a celestial person or a terrestrial person, right? Who is it? 
okay, he's technically not here, but who's the one and only person who knows whether or not I commit terrestrial sins? Me. Because you can't see them. Can you see terrestrial sins? You can't. You can see celestial sins. You see where we're going with the temple? Let's do a couple more. Um, let's do 43. No, let's do eye for an eye, tooth for a tooth. Verse 38. What was the law that got them to the temple? Hurt only the people that hurt you. Don't hurt the people who don't hurt you. In other words, that's fair. That's equal. That's just. Live a fair, just, equal life. I will, these people go around poking at eyes and stealing teeth. These people would only poke out eyes if you poked out mine. That's fair. So Jesus says what? Do not return evil for evil. Do not do evil when evil is done to you. That's celestial. Don't return evil for evil. Let's do a hard one. Verse 43, who do telestial people love? Don't say their neighbor, that's terrestrial. Who do telestial people love? Themselves. Only themselves. Celestial kingdom will be filled with people who are simply concerned about themselves, their life. Who do terrestrial people love? Those who love them. You're nice to me, I'm nice to you. When is it really hard to love? When you don't love me. What is the test of celestial love? Do you love when love isn't deserved, hasn't been earned, and isn't, isn't reciprocated? Do you love in that moment? Do you see the celestial attitude? So everything we're going to do for the rest of this class, as we examine the ordinances of the temple, is going to be focused inside me. What perhaps would you then say, now let's have the conversation we couldn't have earlier. What would you now say are some of the most common terrestrial sins? What's the most terrestrial thing you've done recently? Anyone? The temple's going to be great then, right? What's the most, what are some of the most common terrestrial sins? Pride is probably the biggest. Unworthy thoughts and desires. Anger in my soul that doesn't make it to my fists. The things I look at, the things I talk about, the things I think about. So again, what am I going to wash? The very first thing I'm going to wash are my thoughts, what I look at, 
what I talk about, what I listen to, what I hold up and espouse, where I walk. It's not that my feet are dirty, it's that my heart is dirty and my feet are taking me to the wrong places. Do you see the whole focus of the temple? Now, let me end with, you're doing better than you think. I don't want you to walk away saying, oh, great. I just went to Institute and I found out what a terrestrial person I am. Welcome to the club. The reality is you're focused on the temple because you've made tremendous strides to overcome the natural man. We're all going to struggle with that. Every one of us. I believe Russell Nelson struggles to overcome the telestial person inside him we're still gonna struggle with that, but we've made some tremendous progress. So now for the rest of our lives, we're gonna focus on letting go of the things that have to stay in the terrestrial room. I came in and I'm holding on to some things. And the only way I go out is if I let go of these things. And the temple is going to talk about what we have to let go. So for example, what color do we all wear in the temple? What's the, what's the message? What's, without even looking very deeply, what's the symbol of all of us wearing white? I'm no better than you. We stand in circles in the temple. Why do we stand in circles? Why would this class stand? We're not in a circle right now. And the reason, one of the problems with not being in the circle is what? What's the problem with the way we're facing? You can't see everyone. You can see me, I can see you, but you can't. So if we really wanted to see each other the best, what would we do? We would stand in a circle. Now, what's in the center of that circle? An altar. Jesus. I need to see you through him. I need to see you through him. Do you see the invitation to change my, what I see and how I see and what I look at? Everything about the temple is focused on overcoming my terrestrial tendencies. That is a beautiful journey. When I finally let go of everything in the terrestrial room and I can walk out into who greets me there, who greets me as I walk out of the terrestrial world, having let go of everything terrestrial, who greets me there? The Savior does. That's our life. Overcome celestial. Overcome terrestrial. Enter his presence. And I say that in the name of Jesus Christ. Amen.